Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. My good friend Curtis Parks leading us in worship today. Let's thank him, church. Awesome. Thank you, dude. Curtis and I were in a church planting cohort together, both planting churches in Nashville about three years ago. And uh, ours ended up becoming a merger down here. His is up there. It's called Bridges Nashville. And it's a home church model, which gives him freedom to sometimes be at other churches leading worship. Also a phenomenal writer and musician. Also, I didn't say this earlier, but has a couple claims to fame. American Idol finalist on the Carrie Underwood season. True story. I've looked for the old footage. I can't find it. And... <laughs> And he was Mar- the author of Mark Batterson's uh, worship leader for a bunch of years in Washington, D.C. And uh, Sarah and, and Curtis's mom and uh, aunt, it's great to have you guys here with us, too. We honor you guys. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you guys to pray for some in our church that are experiencing flooding. Thankfully, no one's hurt, uh, but we did have a few with flooding, particularly Nick and Jackie, uh, who are our creative directors here. They were going to be running sound and slides today, but their basement totally flooded, which is also their studio and so keep them in prayer. I've been getting texts from people all morning uh, that have various levels of things going on. But thankfully, everyone is safe, and all of Nick's guitars are safe. So that's a good thing, too. Um, big shout out. At 5.30 a.m. this morning, when I found out they couldn't be here, I texted our audiovisual team. And both Hannah and Travis picked up and made it work here for both services from a 5.30 a.m. text. And Travis has his two kids with him, and his wife is out of town. So extra props to Travis. Uh, also, you know, on Good Friday, this upcoming Friday, we're not doing a service in person here, but my wife and I are going to do a Facebook Live communion and devotional, and she may sing a song at 2 p.m. on Good Friday, and it'll just stay online. I encourage you to do communion on your own in your, in your home at some point on Friday and celebrate, and then as we lead up to Easter, can't wait uh, to celebrate with you. As Heather said, bring some friends in. We're bringing some, a few things back on Easter Sunday, too. We're going to return to our uh, cardstock welcome cards that we used to hand out to everybody pre-COVID with things like sermon notes and upcoming things. There's going to be more pens out. There's, there's various things happening as the world starts to come back together. Isn't that a good thing? Man, I feel like I can start to like spread my wings a little bit and fly. Uh, we're going to have the property looking beautiful and cut and power wash. It's going to be great. I can't wait to celebrate with you guys. One of the things I've been doing with my kids recently, starting this year, is getting up early. I have four kids. My youngest is a two-year-old boy. He gets up really early in the morning right now, and my wife loves this, but I'll get up, let her sleep a little while, and I'll do breakfast. I'll kind of hang with the kids. We'll also do some workout time, just like calisthenic style. So we'll do push-ups, curl-ups. We'll run around the house. We do tons of jumping jacks, and uh, right now, whenever I do push-ups, both my son, who's two, and my youngest daughter, who's five, get on my back. So if I'm looking extra ripped to you guys, it's just because I've been doing push-ups with them on my back in the mornings, killing myself. And the other morning, I think it was Tuesday, I had my feet under the couch and I was doing sit-ups. And my son, he likes to squeeze between my legs and the couch and pretend like he's holding my feet down, which he's not heavy enough to do. And so between my legs, every time I do a sit-up is my son's like smiling face (laughs) as I'm coming up. And he's high-fiving me every time I come up and I'm kissing him. And, you know, I I knew that having kids would be fun and joyful, uh, but sometimes having these kids is even better than I expected. The same morning, Jess was now up. Kids are all getting ready to go to school. 
I was getting ready to go to work. I went in to kiss my lovely bride goodbye, and she was kind of leaning down on the ground. I wasn't sure what was happening. I was moving kind of quick, and I went down, and I realized Clay was down there, and there had been some diaper action happening. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but as my head went down, it entered the cloud that is like from another world, which is the smell of that diaper. And my mouth was like open going in for a kiss. I know that's TMI. And, and I kissed her anyway, but I, my body was filled with the stench of my son's diaper. And when I was dating my beloved wife 14 or 15 years ago and imagining kissing her before work, I wasn't imagining that. And while life is sometimes better than I expected, sometimes life is stinkier than I expected on the same morning. Expectations are a really critical thing in life. I do a lot of marital counseling before people get married. And one of the most important things to do is really drill down on what expectations are you bringing into this marriage because they're usually quite different. Or even just someone who's starting a new job. Try to be really honest with yourself. What expectations am I bringing to these new coworkers, this new company, this new boss? The reality is there is often a gap between your expectations and your reality. Who can testify to that? Everybody in the room. Sometimes when we apply these expectations to how we are following Jesus and even our theology, our understanding of God, it can become a little dangerous. And Palm Sunday, which we're celebrating today, is actually a story where we see that come to be because the people of Israel were welcoming Jesus, their hopeful king, the Messiah, as he entered the city riding on a donkey. They worshiped and rejoiced, rightly so, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we know in hindsight that it was just a week later that these same people who were crying out and worshiping were the same ones yelling, crucify him as he went to the cross. You see, they were expecting Jesus to be their conquering king that would free them from physical oppression to Rome. And Jesus was their conquering king, but he was freeing them from a far greater oppression of sin and death that would lead to separation from God, but they couldn't see that. And so when their expectations were unmet about what it would be to follow Jesus, they ended up joining with the crowds and crucified Jesus. And the principle that we're going to look at today that helps sum up this sermon is learn to follow the reality of Jesus rather than your expectations of Jesus. It's easy to worship Jesus when we think he is fulfilling our expectations. It's tougher when we realize that he is God and we are not. And we don't always fully understand what he's doing. This is why getting a healthy understanding of the word of God is so important because it informs who we think God is and who we think we are and what our expectations are. This is why it's so important to be rooted in a church family that believes in scripture and teaches it so that we can teach ourselves to expect the right things as we follow Jesus. It's why formation, the banner behind that sign there, is one of our values because it's so critical that we are intentionally formed in the likeness of Jesus through his word, through spiritual disciplines and practices and reflecting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm closing our series. I think it's been nine or 10 parts, Lessons from the Life of Peter. And today's sermon is called, What Did You Expect? And we're looking at two particular stories in the life of Peter. One was when he brought the gospel to the Gentiles, and the other is when he had a relational conflict over bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. It's Acts 10, 11, and 15. 
I'm gonna be reading chunks of Acts 11 and 15 if you wanna turn there in your Bible. It'll also be on screen. One really important note about the context here is that at this time in the early church, they had still been believing that the message of Jesus, this gospel, this good news, was only for the Jews. So everyone else that's not a Jew in the world is a Gentile. Probably most of us in this room would be called Gentiles, but at this point, the message of Jesus was not going to the Gentiles, and this is where God was shifting that, starting in Acts 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them, which part of the tradition of the Jews at that time was not even to associate like that with uncircumcised Gentiles. Number two, don't expect a life of following Jesus to be free from criticism. God is actually telling Peter to do something that is causing him to be criticized. I remember when I came to know Jesus in my high school years, um, I didn't know what to necessarily expect from all my friends in my high school and the art school I was in, but guess what? A lot of them criticized me for my newfound faith and passion in Jesus. They did not understand my, what my life was now all about. The arts culture that I had been existing in was more about the casting off of all restraint. And now I was saying things like, I delight in the law of the Lord. I will follow the way, and I got criticized. And when you're not expecting criticism, it can actually really discourage you. It can discourage you even when you're expecting it. When you're not expecting it, it can actually lead you into disillusionment because you wonder what's wrong. So it's important to understand criticism comes with being a follower of Jesus. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So he's recounting what happened in Acts chapter 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Another bit of context for him as a Jewish man at that time, he wouldn't let any of those things ever enter his mouth based on the church tradition. So now it seems that God is telling him to do something that go against his tradition and it does not make sense. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me, to have no hesitation about going with them. So normally this Jewish man would not go with these Gentiles if they tried to invite him to go somewhere. Number three, expect God to challenge your categories. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. Christ is generally outside the boundaries that we would set for him. So there's just a human tendency as followers of Jesus to try to get God in a box that we will control and then when God challenges the categories that we have imposed on him, we don't know what to do with it. Now, let me offer this important caution. God will never contradict his word. We have his word now. He will never go against that. So don't like eat some bad dinner and go to sleep and have a crazy dream and think that God is telling you something different than scripture. He's not gonna change that. But nonetheless, as humans, we tend to impose categories on God. Are you guys tracking with me? These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. 
He told us how he had, he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So you can see that the Lord had been orchestrating all of this. I love this part, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Number four, expect God to do things beyond what you could ask for imagine or imagine. So being careful about our expectations doesn't just apply to things that we will face that are challenging. I think it also applies to, we need to understand that God is gonna do things outside of our categories that are amazing, that are beyond what we could ever even dream for ourselves, but we don't get to taste that if we're not actually following Jesus. I remember, some of you guys know some of the history of the last three years of what has happened here at Graceland Church, but I mentioned earlier how Curtis and I were both church planners in Nashville. My wife and I thought we were gonna plant a church up there, and then someone put me in touch with Pastor Duncan, our pastor emeritus here at this church, just six months after we had arrived in this new city where we knew no one. And, and you put me and Pastor Duncan next to each other, and it's an unlikely pairing, to say the least. I was newly here from Los Angeles. I'm like in arts community. Some would, some would look at me and assume on the fringes of culture. Pastor Duncan is a true Mississippi evangelist preacher. Yet, when Pastor and Duncan and I started to meet, and talk about this potential merger and relationship that takes a high level of trust, God started blessing those meetings with his presence. So it's a category that I didn't expect. It's probably a category that he didn't expect. And then I remember when I, when I first met with some of the board members, which there's at least one here in the room. And in those meetings, as we would share our hearts and share our stories and dream, God began to bless with his presence. And there were tears and a sense of the Holy Spirit pouring out his spirit afresh and anew on us in a direction that maybe neither of us had anticipated. Expect God to do beyond what you could ask or imagine. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love that. Now, sadly, the dispute did not end there. We're gonna jump ahead a little bit to Acts 15, starting in verse one. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Imagine if someone walked into our church and was like, who among you is circumcised? If you're not, you cannot be saved and your salvation is false. That's essentially what's happening. And it's high stakes because that had been the tradition among the Jewish people. Number five, expect to work through sharp disagreements as you pursue unity in the church. That's not a negative statement, by the way. And you know why that must happen? Because all of us together are human and all of us together are flawed. And if we don't understand that we will face disagreements, even though we love each other, we will get discouraged and disillusions when they inevitably come. 
If we have a high in the sky, apple pie idea of the church and think, oh my gosh, it's just so loving and so perfect. I could never have any conflict. Pastor Nathan, he's so great. I could never be angry at him. People say this stuff to me when they first meet me. They're like, Nathan, you're just, I, I, I'm just gonna, I'm so excited to just work with you and serve. And I usually try to tell them, especially if they're that excited, I'm like, I guarantee I'm gonna let you down at some point. And I'm really sorry in advance when that happens, you're gonna have to choose what to do with that. I hope we can still walk together. It's important to expect sharp disputes. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> Jesse, could you bring that uh, whiteboard up here to the stage real quick? As Jesse brings this up, and put it kind of right here towards the back. Thank you so much. Everybody, Jesse Wilder. This little demonstration of this grid will help us as we go into chapter 15 because, thank you, because this expectation of understanding that we will face disputes means we have to learn how to have healthy conflict, and Acts chapter 15 just happens to be a case study for how to have healthy conflict in the church. For those of you guys that are leading teams and in leadership here at Graceland, you were a part of a lunch a couple weeks ago with a mentor of mine, Gary Spell, who talked about how to have healthy conflict. He didn't know that I was gonna be teaching on this in a couple weeks to the whole church, and I didn't know that he was gonna talk to our leaders about that, so you'll see some overlap in some of these principles. But to help set the stage, it's important to understand that at the core, when we're having healthy conflict, we need to remember there are some things that are essential, and they're in the essential center of the target. And as Christians, there's only a few things that are absolutely essential in our doctrine. I mean, one example would be just the idea that salvation comes through Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So if someone was here at Graceland Church and totally didn't believe that, they're 100% welcome here. We want them to seek God here, but I would not say that they are in the faith yet. I would not say that they are in the faith that we believe in the scripture of what it is to follow Jesus. But then there's another category outside of essentials called traditions. And in the church world and in life in general, we tend to develop very deeply held and cared about traditions. But in conflict, it's really important to be able to uh, note the distinction between essentials and traditions. Circumcision was being challenged as, is it an essential or a tradition in the dispute of Acts 15? And then the, the broadest category here is one that there are a lot of these, and those are opinions. My dad taught me early on that opinions are like feet. Everyone has them and most of them stink. There's a lot in the opinion and tradition category that we might be tempted as Christians to divide with other Christians over. But we are not meant to divide over those things and we're gonna look at this study here in Acts 15 to kind of land the plane of this message. You know, the enemy would love for the church to get more and more polarized. There are a lot of disagreements in our culture, different ways to approach, thing, approach things. A friend of mine wrote this in his book, Dan White Jr. The power of polarization is that it can take people that have something in common, emphasize their differences, harden their differences into disgust, and then turn disgust into blatant hatred for one another. So we wanna guard against polarization in the church family when essentials are actually in place. Are you tracking with me? If you think this is a really important thing to talk about, say yes. Okay, good, good, good. So I'm gonna remind you, you said that when we sit down to have healthy conflict next year or whenever it happens. Acts 15 is a template for us. Here we go. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed 
along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So right away, they looked to spiritual authority. Now, in our culture, as soon as you use the word authority, and then if you add spiritual to it, red flag for a lot of people because there have been so many abuses of spiritual authority. But nonetheless, we as Christians are called to live with accountability and authority in their lives. I do this on a regular basis in my life. Number one, involve, respect, and submit to spiritual authority, especially if it's a very sharp, deeply held dispute. When I was pastoring in LA, there was a, a wonderful young person in our church that got it in their head. They might even come across this teaching, and we're, we're fine relationally now, but they got it in their heart and mind that they were meant to be the co-pastor of the church along with me uh, without having any discussion with me. And they seemed to kind of start to move towards that, got other people involved. It got a little contentious. I wasn't sure what was going on. I didn't handle it perfectly, but one thing I did that saved us at the end was I got spiritual authorities involved. We had overseers in place that we were able to bring into the situation to settle it all down, to expose things that weren't right, and to help us figure it out. And because of that, I'm still in relationship with that person, but it was a very challenging situation for me to go to go through. Verse three, the church sent them on their way. These are the people to go seek counsel. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. Now you might, you could almost skip right over this, but they're on a trip to talk about a dispute. What do we usually talk about when we're dealing with a dispute? The dispute. They're actually walking around telling, the Gentile, telling everyone in those cities how Gentiles have been converted. They're sharing good news instead of spreading the dispute. Number two, don't involve others. If you have an issue or a dis disagreement according to scripture, there are only two places you can go. One is the one you should normally go to, the person the disagreement is with. Go talk to that person, period. If it's a very deep, complicated dispute, there, there's room for going to a spiritual authority first to seek counsel about how to approach it. But that's it. I call this being current. We set it up uh, with our leaders and with our staff, and I try to communicate regularly that I commit to be current with you. I'll use the Hulais as an example. We've had the conversation many times. Hulais, I'll be current with you. So if I have beef with you, the Hulais, meaning if I'm upset at you about something, um, I'm gonna talk to you about it. I'm not gonna go talk to Gio about it. So that I, I say I'm so serious about that commitment, if Gio comes and tries to tell you that I'm saying negative stuff about you, don't believe him because I'm gonna be current with you. And Gio would never do that. And, and then I asked the Hulais, I used him in first service too. I'm really beating up on Gio today. He's, he's never done anything like that. You're awesome, Gio. I'm current with you, Gio. I asked the Hulais to be, cur the Hulais to be current back with me. Don't involve others. It would revolutionize churches significantly to just simply get that one principle. Verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Again, when they first got there, they didn't even start with this dispute. Number three, start by recalling everything God is doing. Remind yourself, I've got a lot more in common with you than I've got different than you. If you see something that someone in your life does that's frustrating, which happens to all of us, Remind yourself, wait a second, this is my brother, this is my sister. We're in line with like 90% of our life. This 10% doesn't matter that much. I can almost guarantee you that 10% is almost always in the opinions category. Maybe some of it seeps into the traditions category. Very little gets into the essentials. Are you tracking with me? Remind yourself, recall everything God is doing. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, 
So these are, the guys are bringing the dispute back in. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. Number four, work through the issue together in person. They met to consider the question. When it's a heavy dispute, don't do email, don't do text, don't base it on gossip. Get together in the room. Verse seven, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. This is Peter, the guy we've been studying. He's a hothead. His mouth goes before his mind. Yet in this situation, he does something incredibly wise. Number five, he sticks to the facts. It's really hard not to get the emotions and the opinions and the traditions at the core of the conflict. Stick to the facts. Lay the other things down. This is one of the things that makes social media and our our news cycle so difficult in today's culture because who knows what the facts are? And you need to remember before you share something, some post that's been viral online, that, that that graphic or that quote or that picture that looks like a news broadcast could have been made by some dude sitting in his mom's basement with Photoshop, just making stuff up. So as much as we can, let's try to stick to facts before we become just part of the machine that pumps stuff out as if it's true. Verse 10, now then, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. I love this. Peter refocuses everyone's attention on the grace of God, and look how it changes the room. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When we're in the middle of healthy conflict, it's emotional. And it is hard to sometimes remember to make room for God's grace. Number six, emphasize God's grace. I was in a meeting with some leaders here at Graceland Church a while back, and we were in disagreement about several decisions. And they were big disagreements. It was totally different directions. And you can feel the tenseness in a room when you know that that's the case. We've all been there. It's not necessarily bad. It's just where it is. And I can't remember how it got initiated, but someone had the wisdom to say, let's, let's go around the room and each share a little update about what God is doing in our own heart and what we see him doing in the life of the church. And as we made room for God's grace, as we emphasized his grace, the whole atmosphere of their room was transformed. And rather than feeling the tenseness of disagreement, there were tears of joy celebrating what God was doing. Again, we have way more in common than maybe this one little thing that at the end of the day, is just an opinion or just a tradition. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. This is the brother of Jesus. He said, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. So James is so wise. Seven, use scripture as the guide. The word of God is our plumb line for all things. What you or I believe is not the point. 
The point is, what does Scripture say? Put another way, if the Bible addresses it, my opinion is irrelevant. And it's so powerful. Just remember, Scripture is our guide. Then James says this beautiful line in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Beautiful. Let's not make it difficult for students who are turning to God at Graceland Church. Let's not make it difficult for single moms who are turning to God at Graceland Church. Let's not make it difficult for divorced people who are turning to God at Graceland Church. Let's not make it difficult for addicts who are turning to God at Graceland Church. Let's not impose our traditions or our opinions on people that are turning to God. And to do that, we must do this, sacrifice preferences. And it is a sacrifice because we all have preferences when it comes to our opinions and traditions. I've got them, you've got them. I try to remind myself as I steward the role of being the senior pastor here that just because I'm in that role does not mean it's about my preferences. It is the Lord's church and we are here to serve and to reach people and to contextualize the gospel here. So it's not about what I like or I want. Lord, it is your church. His kingdom come, his will be done. And the only hope we have of unity in the church is all of us continuing to, continuing to learn that lesson to sacrifice preference. And instead of getting frustrated over things, offer a whole load of grace to each other. Sin, I'm sorry, love covers over a multitude of sins. And we do sin against each other in the church. How many of you guys have been sinned against in the church? I have. How many of you guys would also raise your feet? And every finger. How many of you guys have been sinned against? We have. How many of you, they're sitting right next to you right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> probably a lot. Probably a lot. That's truth. That is life. We hurt each other. We have sharp edges. So we have to offer a whole load of grace. We have to sacrifice preferences. I want to fast forward um, and paraphrase a, bit of, paraphrase a bit of the story for time. They send delegates back to the church in Antioch where the dispute started. And part of it said this in verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And they list a few things that had to do with their culture at that time. But they decided not to impose circumcision. I love that phrase. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. You know what it means? It means they sought God's will together, number nine. Learn to actually seek his will. Verse 30, the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. The last point here on healthy church conflict is that it ends, so move on. Probably the most defining mark of healthy church conflict is it's over. We have dealt with it and we move on rather than the very easy but damaging passive aggressiveness that we love so much of the conflict is there, but we never air it out and we just hate each other and we're just bitter and we're just blaming and we can go years and decades like that. So let's get it out and have healthy church conflict and move on and let go of the bitterness, let go of resentment, offer the grace. You know, Jesus' last prayer, the prayer that's recorded in John 17, the cry of his heart was for the church to be one. 
unified. And make no mistake, when he was praying for the church to be one right there, he wasn't talking about one congregation like Graceland Church. He was talking about his global church throughout all generations, across every culture, across every dividing line we could imagine. May they be one. That was the heart cry of Jesus. So I just think it has to be true that if we are a Christian, follower of Jesus, but we have anger or even hatred in our hearts toward other Christians, we're probably following our own expectations of Jesus and not the reality of Jesus. And it's so important to follow Jesus, fill our hearts and minds with his words. Let him shape our perspective because it is so critical. It is mission critical for the church to be one because scripture says they will know that we are his, that we belong to the Lord because of our love for one another. And I don't have to preach at all to you for us to understand how poorly the church has publicly demonstrated unity to an unbelieving world. We've kind of demonstrated the exact opposite in a lot of cases. Now, there's tons of beauty being demonstrated as well. Don't get me wrong. God is moving through his church so beautifully. But we, as disciples of Jesus, if that's what we are, must contend with this in our own hearts. And let me just speak it to you pointedly. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you lay down the right and the luxury to walk holding resentment in your heart towards other Christians because we are called to oneness. One little tool I'm going to give you as the, as the team comes up. There's a difference between expectations and expectancy. So if a young person is starting their life and they, they're a new follower of Jesus, they might have a lot of expectations of what they hope Jesus will bring them in their life. Thank you, Jesse. Here's my expectations for career. Here's my expectations for finance. Here's my expectations, Lord. If I do this, I hope you will do this. Here's my expectations for relationship. Here's my expectations, my expectations. Well, guess what? Anyone who's lived for a while, lots of expectations go unmet. Can we attest? Can anybody attest? Lots of expectations go unmet. What do we do with that? What I want to submit to you is that the key lesson here as we close this series is to let go of your expectations, but build your expectancy. Here's the difference with expectancy. It has nothing attached to it except the goodness of God. So if we're actually following Jesus, we have to say, we are not leading our life. We don't know where this all goes. God knows where it goes. And I trust the character of God. He is good. He is true. He is faithful. And though it might look totally different than what I envisioned, what I would have expected, my expectancy says that I can be filled with faith and hope and life because I serve a good, faithful God. Big difference. Big difference. May we, whatever expectations you're clinging to that are making you frustrated. I love the illustration you did, Curtis, at the beginning, how the Quakers would hold their hand like this then palms down, let go. That's the posture. Let go of every specific expectation, but then build that expectancy. God is God. And I love the song we're gonna sing with at the end because situations in our life seem difficult, but what we can do is trust that as we are following Jesus with the expectancy that comes from knowing him, he will make a way where there seems to be no way. If you have a relationship that seems impossible, don't get me wrong, you don't have to be best friends with these people but what's in your heart about it? God can heal your heart. God can bring liberation to stuff that's weighing you down. God wants to lift it off of you. If you have huge unmet expectations that you're bitter about, God wants to heal you of that and rebuild in you this life of expectancy. He will make a way there. He is literally the way 
maker. So let's stand together. Let's do that simple exercise again just before the team starts singing. Let's hold our hands and surrender like the Quakers taught us. It's just palms up facing the Lord. If you're watching at home, worshiping with us, you can do it. I encourage you to do it at home. Palms up. Lord, we surrender. We surrender, Lord. All those expectations that all of us have, right now we choose to just flip our hand over. Let's do it. Let's face palms down. We let go of expectations, Lord. And even as we do it, we pray that you build our expectancy, our faith in you, our trust in you. We don't even know what our life should look like. We don't even have an understanding of exactly what to do, yet you've given us a clear imperative, follow. I will follow you, Jesus. Let's sing the song before we close today, church, and let's just worship and call out to the Lord. Lord, we trust that every single thing we are facing, every problem, every challenge, you are bigger than it. You are stronger than it. You are a way maker through it, God. So we let our faith rise, God, as we magnify you, our Savior. And we do cry out on this Palm Sunday, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest to the Messiah, the King, the one who's come to save us. And the amazing thing is you're saving us in even deeper ways than we understand, deeper ways than they understood on Palm Sunday. You're the God who, even when we come to you, you understand a hundred other steps that we can't even see, and you save us. You hold us. You care for us. You show us mercy. You show us grace. Let that same mercy, let that same grace flow through us. Build unity in your church, God. Build unity right here at Graceland Church. Build unity with your church here in Middle Tennessee in the Nashville area, God. We're one church. We're in zero competition with anyone else. We're locked arms with brothers and sisters proclaiming the good news. May the church in America be united, God. May we be known more for how we serve together, how we uphold one another than how we differ or what we're against. We pray for your global church, God. We pray for awakening. We pray for new life. We pray for new birth. We pray for you to show up in powerful ways in nations that are in persecution right now, God. Your church is a glorious bride. And we thank you that we get to be a small part of it. If you're here and you're not even sure if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you felt like maybe you put your faith in him at one point, maybe you never have. I just want to pray. Pray along with me if it's you. Lord, I've been running all kinds of directions in my life. I've been chasing things. I've been following other people. I've been following desires. I've been trying my best in some cases. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short, but right now here in this moment, I want to answer your call and say, Jesus, I want to follow you for all of my days. I want to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Forgive me for where I've fallen short. Thank you for your mercy and grace that is fresh for my life today. Thank you for, for washing me clean, for, for, this, for this clean slate that you've set before me to run in fields of grace clothed in the righteousness of God. I commit my whole life to you. I want to follow you all the rest of my days, Jesus. I'm yours. Help me, I pray in Jesus' name. If that's any of you here, please talk to me. We want to pray with you. We want to resource you. Thank you for your blessing today, God. Let me pray this benediction and we'll be dismissed. <clears throat> May we rise to the purpose God has vested in each of us. 
May we answer his call and say, your will be done and not mine. May our hearts know the trust of not being afraid and our confidence rooted in the knowledge that nothing is impossible with God. So go forth this week remembering the love of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for tuning in online.